Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Steve Hiding. And we've had Steve on multiple times on the podcast. We've had him on, um, I don't know, episode 100. And uh, and it's like it's like yearly. So just go back every 52 episodes and you'll find one with Steve. That's about how uh, regular he is with the podcast. And, you know, this week we're going to talk about kind of his recap of his season. We're going to talk about things to catch big muskies. Although, as you'll find out in the episode, and it's something I think about all the time, there's just so many variables that go into it and the muskies will do musky things and it's just it's very difficult to pin down the where when how and why you know to catch muskies you could go to uh, you know we'll use green bay for example lots of big muskies in green bay and maybe it's a bright sunny day and you can definitely catch them but on i don't know we'll use lake vermilion for example i don't know never i've never fished i'm just using it as an example Maybe those fish don't really love sunny days at all. Maybe they like cloudy days, and maybe they like a lot of wind, and that gets them fired up. So it's definitely a, you know, as with anything in musky fishing, and I'm sure, Brad, you'll agree, it's always about time on the water. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's uh, it's a bunch of puzzle pieces like we've talked about in the past, and you're trying to put all those little pieces together to try to figure out exactly what's going on. And that can be a daily thing. It might be a monthly thing, weekly. It just depends on the time of the season and weather and every other little detail that kind of comes together with muskies. You know, speaking of time on the water, Brad, we're when we're recording this, it's the Tuesday after Labor Day, just to give everybody a frame of reference. We're actually trying to get a little bit ahead here. Brad wants to do some fishing. I want to do some fishing. And so we're, we're trying to get a little ahead on these podcasts. So we're, we're giving you our, our Labor Day update now even though Labor Day, when you hear this, will have been uh, roughly 10 days ago. The Labor Day update for Brad. How, Brad, did you get out for Labor Day? I mean, we sent a couple text messages back and forth, but did you actually get on the water and fish much, or were you were you one of those people that was working on Labor Day? Uh, I was working, um, but we did slip out for a couple hours and chase uh, myself and Carrie. We all went out on the lake. I think we fished two, two and a half hours and and we put a nice mid forties in the boat. So that was cool. My whole world changes uh, tomorrow. I am going to be on the water basically for probably 35, 40 days straight now. So (laughs) it's going to get a little bit bit, uh, challenging for recording and doing whatever we got to do here, Jeff, but it's that time of the year and I am ready to go fishing. I literally probably put less time in in the month of August than I ever have. So it's been kind of wild. Well, hopefully we can try to record one more episode, you know, before you get in that. So we can kind of break up that hiatus a little bit because uh, I know I know how September can be challenging for you. I know, and I know it's because, you know, this is the time of year that as musky anglers, this is what gets us excited. This is what we live for. September and October and November, but more, I'm thinking most of us anglers are September and October. We see a lot of drop off, even in podcast listening and in sales in November, because there's a lot of other things to do. People need to choose between deer hunting and, and, and any type of hunting versus, you know, musky fishing. And they've musky fished all summer. So they're like, I have limited time to hunt and this is when I'm going to go. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, and school starting and everything else. Uh, people get busy, you know, there's Friday night football for high school, college football on Saturday and then the NFL on Sunday, right? And Monday, and I think they even have it on Thursday anymore, but I'll be honest, I am on the water, and uh, I pretty much uh, 
I start watching football like uh, right at uh, the end of the musky season, I guess, is about the time I started looking at it. Which is the most important time to start looking at it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it's one of them things, I guess. I, it's funny. I used to try to stay in tune with what's going on. Actually, the last three years, I don't think I've watched anything but the Super Bowl. Pretty bad. But uh, life is busy. And uh, if you got kids, everybody understands that whole principle. You know, Brad, I got lucky. I was able to get out on the water with my kids and managed to put Austin on his first two muskies of the of his career. Like, we were Friday night. We had a, a nice window there, and, and Austin was ripping a bulldog and managed to put one in the net. And then, he, of course, he wouldn't give up the bulldog after that. And then he, he ended up getting a second one. And then... My daughter had a little bit of heartbreak yesterday. Her, her, like my son wouldn't get up. Apparently, two muskies. He's satisfied now. His musky career is either over or he was just taking a night off. We'll see what happens as we move into fall, but or a morning off, I should say. But anyways, so we get on the water. My daughter and I, and the weather conditions, in my opinion, kept getting tougher and tougher. And she manages to lose an awesome tiger musky i'm thinking the the video and the pictures i have of it from the video don't do it justice but it was you know probably in that 39 to 41 inch range and lost it on a medusa heartbreak for her but if i ever do edit the video it's awesome she screams <laughs> and and uh, gets scared the crap out of her and quite honestly it scared the crap out of me it shot out of about three feet of water unreal uh strike definitely why you go musky fishing like bass have never done that to me ever in my life no it's a poison there's no question about it and i think all of our listeners would agree i mean once you get into this realm of musky fishing i don't know it's, i guess it's as simple as saying all other fish are bait right <laughs> but it's uh it's definitely a poison and it can wreck you and it's kind of cool that you're uh, getting your kids out there and actually uh ruining some lives <laughs> yeah, that ruined them both. But anyways, and actually my younger son, Zach, he actually wanted to get his life ruined too. He came up fishing with us. My kids went back to school last week, and so they had off on Friday. So they went for four days, had a day off on Friday, so they had a nice four-day weekend. And we went up a little earlier on on Friday, and surprisingly, my son, Zach, who's nine, he decided he wanted to come with us too. And actually, he was, you know, I, for his, his first two casts were like really good, like surprisingly good. And then we, we ran into some struggles, and I thought it was he was going to have a little bit of an issue and there was going to be a meltdown on the boat, but he pulled it all together. He didn't get a muskie. His PMA needs to work a little bit better. He's like, he, you know, he's a nine-year-old kid, and his brother's catching some muskies, and he's like, I'm never going to catch one. And I'm like, Zach, it only takes one muskie to change your, your whole fortune. But I think he's he actually might be a muskie angler too, so I think I'm going to actually ruin three of my four children. Hannah, I don't think there's any hope for I don't think she'll get in a boat and change some muskies ever, but has no desire, <laughs> no interest, none of it. But it's still... Um, you know, I think, I think I'm going to ruin three lives. So that's good. <laughs> well, that's really awesome. And, and there's nothing better than watching your kid catch a muskie. So congrats to you as well. Yeah. A fun time. It was, it was awesome. Like I said, it was very, it was very cool though, to watch, watch them all, you know, it's, it's cool, right, Brad? I mean, your kids are involved and they like something that you like and that's cool. And I've never once, you know, forced any of my kids to want a musky fish. They either, they either want to fish or they don't want to fish. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like my ego does not live on through my children at all. Like I have my own lives, they have their own lives and I'm never going to force them to do something that I like to do. And I think that's a good way to do it. You know, and, I, and 
is like my my daughter. She's 12. Um, she doesn't have the interest that she did, say, two years ago. But she was in the boat with us the other night. The foundation has been created. And I think that uh, over a period of time, she's going to want to get back into it as well. So she spent some time on the water this summer and was working her little butt off. But like I say, create the foundation and it, it will follow. So if you are still chasing muskies, you're out you know, on the water and you need gear, why don't you make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Uh, this week, I don't know, like the shop's a little more quiet. We got, we've, for the end of August, we got in a pile of stuff and now moving into the beginning part of September, I'm not, I mean, we still have a bunch of stuff on order, but I don't, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what's coming in or what's not coming in. So if you're looking for gear, I know if you want red October tubes, we actually have a bunch of them right now, but if you need other gear, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. If you're looking for blades, obviously September is a great month to be throwing bucktails. Make sure you go and visit Brad, and Brad will tell you all about Musky Mayhem Tackle. <laughs> it's plain and simple. Uh, just go right to muskymayhemtackle.com, and we can offer pretty much any of the standard baits that we make, as well as customs that you can design right on our website and get yourself some customs. Otherwise, you can go to Team Rhino Outdoors and get some of those Team Rhino Customs as well, which are very, very popular, or any other, other fine retailer. And we appreciate all the business. And uh, without you, we couldn't do what we do. You nailed it, Brad. Without them, we could not do what we do. And without our listeners here, this podcast would be uh, just me and Brad just talking dumb. And so enough of me and Brad talking dumb. We're going to go dial up our conversation that we had with Steve Hiding. All right, our guest this week is none other than Steve Hiding. He's not a new guest to our podcast. He's a regular contributor. I'd say, yeah, Steve, we try to get you on about, you know, once a year. In this instance, I had a listener who happens to actually be a guide client of yours. I didn't realize that till after I reached out to you. He wants to talk about big fish, and so I started thinking about people we haven't had on in a while and who's going to offer up some, uh, you know, great insight to help put a larger fish in the boat, seeing as though we are in September now and everybody's favorite time to go musky fishing. So I thought, hey, who else but to have Steve hiding on? It's probably been roughly a year since we've had you on. So I reached out and of course you were gracious enough to accept to come on again. And so I want to thank you for your, for your time this morning. I'd say, yeah, it is, it is still morning. Hopefully this podcast ends before it's noon, but anyways, thanks for your time, Steve. I really appreciate you coming on again. Hey guys, glad to be here. You know, Steve, before we get rolling, I know you've been doing some guiding lately. Is your guide uh, schedule full up for the rest of this season? I've got as much as I want. Um, I never wanted to do it full time. You know, just because um, I, I'm enjoying what I what I'm doing, and and I figured I'd be fishing a lot, and uh, might as well. The one thing I really enjoy is fishing with new people, getting to know people, and uh, so it's been a lot of fun. So I, I guess reading between the lines, no, I'm not full up the rest of the season, but I don't want to be. I've got what I want, and I'm plenty happy with it. So if we're moving into like 2024, and somebody wanted to get in touch with you to go fishing with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, they can look at my website at steveheading.com. Uh, they reach out to me through social media, or they can call my office number 715-358-0754. All right. So Steve, you talked about time on the water and let's kind of go down that road first. You know, we're 
fairly far into the muskie season. We're, I would say, probably well over halfway or around halfway. How's your season been going? What have you found as, as you've been on the water? Because I know you recently took a, a trip to Canada as well, so maybe we can even talk a little bit about that. You know, it's been a season that has been fairly steady. I, there, I, I, I'm, I'm one of these guys who thinks you should catch a muskie every time out. There are several, and you know, I realize that's just not I, that's not realistic. But that's what my goal is to do when I hit the water. It was interesting with the roller coaster ride of water temperatures that we had back in June. Uh, trying to keep patterns going was very difficult then. I didn't catch the fish out of open water that I hoped to this year. Um, I'm not sure why that was, um, but. Yeah, and, 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 but, you know, it's been steady since, you know, whatever it's the spawn does to the muskies, it messes them up in a way. Once The farther you get from the spawn, the better it gets. And the fishing, at least for me here in northern Wisconsin, has been better in July and August. Going to Canada has been interesting. Uh, not tearing them up, working for the fish we're catching, uh, but we're catching fish. Again, steady, but not spectacular. And I've been hearing stories about lots of pressure in Canada. Is that what you're seeing when you're on the water in Canada as well? I saw it in July, not so much last year. I, I still think there's, or last week, um, I, I still think there's not as many anglers fishing in Canada as there were pre-COVID. I think people found other places to go and other things to do. And, you know, when, when the Canadian borders were closed, um, you know, there, there's still pressure up there. There's still good fishermen going up there, but I, I, my gut feeling is there's still fewer. All right. Well, that's, I mean, I mean, I guess that's good and bad, right? Bad, bad. If you're a Canadian resort and you're hoping to be all the way full, you'd rather have as many people up there as you can get. But from what I understand, there's also potentially less Canadian resorts. Unfortunately, some of them didn't make it through. Some sold off to private people to use as cabins and, and things like that. So, uh, But as an angler, you I mean, obviously as an angler, we'd all rather have nobody on the water, correct? <laughs> well, we all want it all. You know, we want everything, and we want the fish to bite. We want to have them all to ourselves. That's just not the case anymore, but that's what we go up there and hope for. And, um, you know, I, I didn't see a whole lot of pressure last week. So, you know, I really didn't bother me much. Well, you know, let's talk maybe a little bit about lures and location. Are you finding more fish are on break lines lately? Are they up shallow? Where are you thinking that people should be targeting these muskies right now? Well, it's, we're coming up on the pre-turnover period. Um, yeah, it was warm over Labor Day weekend, but the fish moved up shallow about two weeks ago, at least here in northern Wisconsin. So when, when they do that, there's really no point in fishing much deeper than you have to. Dark water, six or eight feet is all the deeper you need to fish. Um, clear water, maybe 12, you know, but the fish are definitely in the weeds or on rocks. Um, you know, as we were talking ahead of time, Jeff, you said, you know, you were fishing with your kids this weekend and you said they were all up shallow and that's what we saw up in Canada last week. Fish were shallow, um, you know, nothing off the brake lines. Uh, in some cases, the shallower, the better. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. That's basically what I saw here this past Labor Day. By the time you hear this episode, the information will be about a, a week and a half old. But at the same point, it should still be relative. I mean, I would anticipate the shallow migration will stay here for, oh, well, I mean, obviously it's water water uh, temperature dependent. But I would imi- imagine it'll still be relevant for another week and a half after you hear this podcast. I would assume all of that. Oh, yeah, it'll be relative 
irrelevant, I'm sorry, relevant, um, all the way up until turnover. And, you know, the wheelhouse is, you know, basically from about 60, eh, 65 degrees down to 58 is going to be your best fishing typically. But um, until turnover, this is where I'm going to target them is up shallow. And uh, I consider this some of the best fishing of the year. I, you know, I, I've said it many times, I don't know if all the muskies go shallow, but the ones that are going to bite are going to be up shallow. And so you can get them with a bucktail topwater minnow bait presentation. So it's easy. It's power fishing. You really don't have to overthink it too much. And some of the bigger fish in the lake are all up shallow. So it's, it's all good. Yeah, definitely a great time. It's everybody's favorite, right? We all wish September was like two months long, but unfortunately, you know, the football, if you, if you go by football season, you know, you, you start off with week one, it gets to be week four really quick. And there, there goes September. Bye-bye. See ya. Well, you know, if you, if you play it by water temperature and latitude, you can stretch it out some years to almost two months, you know, um, you know, the fish moved up shallow in Northern Wisconsin, like I said, about two weeks ago. And well, okay. That's, you know, the third week of August. Now, that's going to pretty much go through September and, you know, some of the last couple of years we've had, you know, kind of warmish Septembers and turnover hasn't occurred till, you know, the second week of October. So, you know, that's a six to eight week window that you can, uh, that you can take advantage of. You also can, uh, you know, you can start it early in Canada, you know, by latitude, you go up to Canada and, and, Get a destination water up there because they're going to move up shallow roughly the same time. And then, you know, you can just kind of work your way south as you hit that key water temperature and and uh, take advantage of that. Yeah, some some years, like I said, eight weeks is uh, is possible. You, can, you know, for you, then you can just keep even going further south. You just head her down to Madison, going to Illinois and just keep moving, moving south, right? Well, you could, yes, Theoret- theoretically, you know, somebody from, uh, you know, southern Wisconsin or, or northern Illinois, who's, you know, that's their home waters. Well, you know, why not go to Canada in the middle of August? And, you know, those fish are going to be shallow then, hit northern Wisconsin the end of August, early September, and then just keep moving south. And then, uh, you know, then when the water temperature hits the preferred range down in, you know, your, on your waters, then crush them, you know, get them done. All right, so moving on with our our podcast and our questions. So, like I said, we had that that email that we got from Bob. I believe his name is Bob, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Bob. It came across as Robert, but anyways, he had actually a pretty good idea. He wants to talk about you know fish stories as well, and you know that's something that I think that's overlooked on our podcast occasionally. We don't we don't do enough storytelling. So let's talk a little bit about maybe if you want to give us a story, craziest fish, biggest fish. You know, uh, amazing day on the water. However, you want to go. Let's start with off with the story. Well, I'll tell I'll tell you the one that happened uh, this year was you know I, I don't I don't know what these fish sometimes think sometimes think about us, but this fish was following in hot, and I sped up the bucktail, and the fish just hit the skids. You know, like he stuck out his fins, the air brakes went on, came to a complete stop. Lay there for a moment, came up, stuck his head out of the water, looked at me, blew a bubble at me, and then sank down and swam away. So was what was he telling me? That you know, that's one thing I want to know. But obviously he didn't like the speed up of the bucktail and sticking his head out of the water and looking at us and blowing a bubble. I took that as a, a big act of defiance. But you know, it, 
in the theme of this pre-turnover bites, you know, a uh, single best day I've ever had of musky fishing uh, occurred on uh, September 10th, 1998, taking advantage of that bite. And that was on, uh, you know, everybody loves Lake Vermilion. Well, back then, Lake Vermilion was on, you know, basically nobody's radar. A buddy and I had the lake to ourselves and the fish were going crazy. And we ended up with 16 muskies that day, you know, 16 in the boat and a 40-inch pike on top of it. Now, they were all 34 to 45 and a half inches, but, you know, 1998, that's all the bigger they were. It was, you know, about 45 to 46 inches. And uh, just fantastic day. I caught seven fish on a top reader prototype. Yeah, that was before the top reader was even out. And uh, the year before it came out. And, the, and you know, we had, I think, 10 of the, 10 of the fish in total of the 16 were on top waters. And the others were all on bucktails. Fish were up shallow. Throw a bucktail or top water, just like we were talking about for the pre-turnover bite. And those fish were just going crazy. Uh, the next day was my, you now the next day, of course, now is 9-11. September 11th is also my son's birthday and he was turning eight and I had promised him I would be home in time for his birthday when he got off the school bus. And so we had enough time to fish for an hour and a half before we had to put the boat on the trailer. And we still had three muskies during that time. So, you know, I fulfilled my obligation as a dad, but uh, I just wonder what we could have caught if we could have stayed there and beat him up. Pretty impressive, though, that the window was open for a full day and then into the next day as well. Like you said, it makes you wonder, like, you know, darn kids have to get in the way all the time, right? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that. You know, <laughs> my, my son is awesome, and you know, he was eight years old then. And, you know, now, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going fishing. Sorry, buddy. You know, we'll, I'll make it up to you when I get home. But back then, for an eight-year-old boy, you know, you got to be there for him. Oh, yeah. I totally understand. That's why my my fishing time is more limited these days because I'm, I'm in that phase of life, right? I'm in that phase where I have young kids, and they have lots of obligations for me, whether it be going to watch them play football or baseball or volleyball or whatever. My kids have me going a million different directions, so... It's been, it, it's, it's fun, but you know, at the same point, you know, there are sacrifices. Anytime you have children, there are sacrifices and that'd be one of them. You don't get as much time on the water. You probably should do the, uh, I suppose you, you could just ignore them. And then later on down the road, you're going to have some issues to deal with as well. So it's best <laughs> off to, uh, to fulfill your obligations, be there for them. Now the muskies will still be there in the end. And, uh, regardless of what we all think, the muskies do not think about us. They do not care about us. They do not love us. They will be fine if we are, are gone. So it's best to take care of the, uh, the more important things in your life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, family's family. And, uh, the best part about my son is you know, I got a life, lifetime fisher, fishing buddy there too. So. Oh yeah. I, I understand that. I've, I've developed one so far myself this season. My son, I'd never let him musky fish, so he, he just turned 12 in May, and I hadn't let him musky fish much before that. He went and did some trolling with me, but uh, casting-wise, I just didn't figure he'd be into it. I thought he'd be he'd get bored pretty quick, and I didn't want him to... I didn't want to ruin him early, and, and quite honestly, he's really surprised me. He makes me wonder if I couldn't have taken him sooner because he's really taken to it as far as... I mean, he, he, he'll he cast and rip dogs and, and cast and cast and cast, and very few breaks in the wa- in the boat and it's been it's been impressive to watch from that standpoint. I don't know if I would have done it at 12, but you know, he's he's been good that way. My daughter's been with me for a, a long while. 
So that part's been fun. And like you said, hopefully lifelong fishing friends and, and lots, lots of memories to be made, you know, even though you have to sacrifice a few times. Well, you know, also with kids, uh, when you're taking them fishing now, you know, that you look, you look at the reels that we've got now on the rods, it's so much easier to cast than when we got started. You know, so they can cast without the frustration of backlashes or short casts. Gee, I can't cast as far as dad. Well, maybe they can't, but they can still cast pretty far. And the hand-eye coordination of kids nowadays is off the charts. Maybe that's from video games or whatever. I don't know. But um, the hand-eye coordination, you know, giving a kid a bait caster and, you know, setting them up with good equipment right from the get-go rather than, you know, somebody's used leftover equipment. You know, gives them. You know, if you give them give them their own rod and reel, it gives them a sense of pride, and they've got the manual dexterity to handle it. And if and the rods and reels are much more forgiving, so there is no reason for them. You know, outside if maybe they just don't like it, but otherwise, it's a whole lot easier now to get a kid involved in musky fishing than it ever was before. I'll give a shameless plug to a few products that are out there too, and I know that you're involved with a lot with Saint Croix has going on, and I know that I think Chaos Tackle has a revolution reel seat as well. But my kids have found that they like that because they didn't like grabbing the foregrip that felt unnatural to them. It was their hands were too big or too small to palm reels. That now with the um, that grasp on those Saint Croix rods, they just they hold the grasp like a trigger, you know, and they just hold right onto that, and they can, you know, work those baits really well. So it's been a nice surprise. That was an you know I didn't necessarily think they would use it that way, but they they do i don't use it that way myself when i fish with it but it's been a good thing so maybe if you have kids look into one of those rods or i don't want to just be into saint croix i sell lots of different products look into one the uh, chaos tackle with the revolution real seed as well it's been a very welcomed product in my in my boat this year yeah everybody who's fished with me you know obviously i'm all saint croix this is my 36th season of fishing with their product and Everybody who's fished with me and tried it has liked that grass handle. It's uh, not only helps you know controlling the rod on the cast, uh, it really helps you manipulate baits. And then with a big fish, it gives you a lot more leverage in fighting them. So it, it's it's a win win right there. Yeah, I definitely agree. Great products. Lot, I mean, like you said, the changes that we've seen in gear have come a long way over the past. Well, I mean, you've been musky fishing for longer than me, but even like the past twenty odd years that I've been musky fishing, it's amazing how much different things are and how, and how much better everything is. We're, we're all spoiled as anglers for many different reasons. Well, yeah, the rods and reels have gotten so much better, but you know, you can thank Brad for that. You know, when he came out with that cowgirl and there, the equipment we had back then, <laughs> I mean, trying, trying, trying to cast uh, those cowgirls with the equipment we had back then was almost impossible. And the, you know, the, Met, the tackle manufacturers stepped up and gave us something that can handle the bigger, bigger baits that we're throwing now. And, uh, yeah, it tackle now is the best it's ever been. That cow, that cowgirl was, you know, you look at, you look at the changes since the cowgirl came out you look at, you know, the rod manufacturers had to create rods that could cast it and, and, and do it, you know, without putting too much effort, you know, on the angler part. Um, and also still figure eight them too, uh, the reels were, you know, five to one round reels back then and not very smooth. And, you know, we needed something with power to pull the cowgirl in it. it, it that kind of sparked a whole revolution right there. And, yeah, it, and so, uh, you know, Brad, you are, you know, you and Carrie are responsible for that, I, I, at least in my opinion. You're also probably responsible for all the arthritis I got in my fingers and such, but we're not going to talk about that here. 
Uh, that's a common theme that I've heard quite a few times, Steve. But, you know, I I probably got the same problem. So we're all in it together. <laughs> you know, Brad, that is one thing that I don't think has been overstated enough. I would say it's, you know, between your cowgirls and, like, pounder bulldogs, how much those two baits, and specifically the cowgirl, has revolutionized the changes within, you know, musky gear. Yeah, I, I do know that, you know, St. Croix themselves had actually made some uh, blade rods that uh, were just specifically designed for the cowgirl. I know one of them was the sling blade that came out right away uh, shortly after we had come out with the cowgirl. I know Shimano had made changes with that. And, you know, thinking back, it's kind of funny. I was fishing with Larry Dahlberg and we were doing some TV stuff and, he shows up and he goes, I got something for you, Brad. I, I want you to see this. It's going to really change your world. And he, he hands me a Trinidad, the TN-16. And it's funny because I go, oh, you mean like this? And I already had one. Shimano was making that Trinidad, and it was made for saltwater casting. And I still use one today. There's no level wind on it. But, man, I'm telling you, for a power reel, it is incredible. And I know we sold a pile of them. And I think. Because of some of that, then Shimano and, and Garcia and all the different uh, real companies started making changes because they seen that musking anglers, we spend money. I mean, that's what we do, right? And and I think we get overlooked because the muskie community is a small community in freshwater fishing. But at the end of the day, we all spend tons and tons of money. And that's good for you, Brad and Jeff. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't argue yeah. with that. But, you know, that, that, that enthusiasm of the muskie fisherman has yeah, supported muskie hunter for so many years, too. You know, I, I, I got a whole career out of it, uh, you know, thanks to the enthusiasm of, of the muskie fisherman. They, they, they renewed, you know, they, they bought the magazine, they subscribed to it, they renewed when that time came up. And, uh, you know, they were very much into, you know, reading that magazine. And so, you know. That's how. That's why I'm here. So, it, you know, we, we we got a great industry. There's no question about that. Yeah, it's quite amazing how you know. Like I said, we are small in the community of freshwater fishing, but the group of people that uh, support so many different companies and so many different manufacturers, and it's truly amazing um, that we've all been blessed with these careers. I mean, all three of us have benefited from that. Yeah, absolutely, Brad. Definitely. All right. Well, guys, one the other thing so that Bob wanted us to talk about was big muskies. We we talk a lot about seasonal strategies on here, and it, typically this would be a time of year. I've said it last week that we would be talking about that shallow migration. We'd be talking about bucktails and topwaters and all that fun stuff. But let's talk about big muskies, Steve. I know you're no stranger to them. You've probably caught more large muskies than I've caught muskies, so... Let's uh, let's go down that. He's he's looking for the recipe. Let's talk about, you know, in, in your history with large fish. Are they typically eating big blades, or are they tip or big baits, or are they typically eating small baits? A fish is all about being a fish, and I don't think think about it. But efficiency when feeding, you know, gets them bigger. You know, if they expend less energy and get more protein and fat and grease from the cystos or whitefish or suckers that they're eating. You know, if they get more of that per bite, it's that's all good for them. But you know, I, I don't, 
I don't think there's any one magic secret way of catching bigger fish outside of the most important thing is to, you got to fish where they are. And, you know, if, if, if you want to catch a 50 inch stay in Wisconsin and you got a 500 acre lake that you got a place on, you hope to catch a 50 inch out of that. Well, good luck. You know, it's just not going to happen. You could fish your whole life and never get a 50 inch out of it. You know, you got to go to someplace like Green Bay. You know, if you want to catch a 50 incher in Minnesota, well, I'm not going to speak for Brad, you know, where you're going to go there. But, you know, there are way more 50 inchers in Minnesota than there are in Wisconsin. Same thing for Canada is got more than Wisconsin. And um, you have to go where they exist. And that never was more driven home to me than back in the days when the Minnesota fishery was taken off. And, you know, early 2000s, you know, Jim Sarek and I would be at the, in the muskie hunter booth at the Minnesota muskie show. If we talked to one guy, we talked to a hundred, basically started out with, yeah, I, I heard about your magazine. I want to get into muskie fishing. So I, I think I'll subscribe. And so you, you engage the gentleman or, or woman and say, so, you know, have you, have you fished for muskies before? Oh well, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I've been bass fishing and I've been seeing a couple. So I got some bigger equipment and. You know, I got three so far, and you know, I got a fifty-two incher, and it's like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> these these guys. You know, this was at the time Vermilion was rocking at the time. Tonka and and uh, and 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 Malax were starting to take off, and Miltona was starting to take off, and all these guys they'd have like three or four fish to their career, but they had a fifty incher that never was driven home to me more than that you have to be on good water water that has big fish in order to catch big fish than you know what we were seeing there well steve let me ask you a question so obviously you're very familiar with wisconsin i have people that i talk to on a fairly regular basis that seem to think that every single lake in wisconsin has a 50 incher i i disagree with that i think some some lakes have the abilities to produce them, even if they are smaller, but I would say overall, they all do not. What side of this argument would you be on? Well, historically, all of these lakes may have produced a 50-incher at some point. And a lake here in northern Wisconsin, I think, has more muskies in it than any other lake in the state, at least from my experience, is also the lake where I lost what I believe is the longest muskie ever hooked in Wisconsin. You know, it was just a big old dinosaur. It you know, maybe weighed 30 pounds. It probably was high 20s. Giant head, long skinny body, you know, black body. It was a dark water lake. You know, another lake that uh, back in the early days of my musky fishing that, you know, the DNR had done a, <laughs> done a study out there, just, just a population estimate on muskies. And they were at about three per acre, three muskies per acre. And so it, it was full of fish that were 28 to 34 inches long which is fun. It's great for kids. It's great for beginners and such. And yet they, they had all these fish that were that size and they had a few that were a couple inches bigger. And then there was like nothing in their sampling from 38 inches to 46 and a half inches. How old was that fish? You know, folks take, you know, this is one of those lakes that's got a 28 inch size limit on it now because the DNR believes there's too many muskies in it and they want people to keep them to try to help the growth rate a little bit. And yet this fish was 46 and a half inches that they DNR sampled. Um, and I actually believe that uh, I had a guide customer out there lose it one day. If, if there was only one fish like that in the lake, uh, he couldn't do anything with that fish before it came off. You know, I, I think 
if the fish has the opportunity to grow and has the time and live to be 20 or 25 or 30 years old, as we know they can live to be, you know, you might encounter that surprise. But for the most part, I, a lot of these lakes, there's just no way that you believe there's a 50 incher in there. But, you know, the possibility is there in the right circumstance, I guess. Um, but again, you're looking for a needle in the haystack. You just are. Yeah, obviously nowadays there's far far better opportunities than some of these little puddle lakes that you have in northern Wisconsin if you're looking for a big muskie. In your experience, would you say that larger muskies would react more towards a quicker retrieve or a slower retrieve? Well, that's... Oh, boy. It's a time and a place, right, Steve? I mean, that's a tough one to answer. Yeah, if there there have been time, I've been on on trips where you know where all things are equal with you know I'm fishing with friends and and you know I'm getting seriously outfished and it's like okay everything's equal here and I'm not going to get into how I determine that but I'm still getting outfished and what is it and it was coming down to retrieve speed it almost always just if everything's equal between the anglers and one guy's outfishing the other luck could be it but um i believe you make your own luck and it usually comes down to retrieve speed and so i have got just a whole gamut of reels that can force me to or allow me to go fast if i have to go fast or can you know, force me to go slow if i have to go slow and i think you know you, you, you see you see a big fish sometimes and they can move so fast when they want to and sometimes they're, they're coming in, you know, like, okay, you could, you could set a stopwatch and, okay, how long is it going to take that fish to get here? Well, those fish, when they're moving really, really slow, probably aren't going to eat. They probably aren't going to eat. If they're moving fast, yeah, they probably are. So in that regard, I would say a faster retrieve would probably be it. But at times you have to slow down. You have to give them what they want, and then that works too at times. But I, I think those big fish have been around the block. They've been caught and released before. And you have to catch them at the right instance and in their attitude. And you have to give them something quick that gives doesn't give them an opportunity to realize, hey, I'm about to make another mistake. You know, Brad, it's it's funny you talked about, you know, it's a it's a time and place thing. Well, it's kind of like this weekend. So I was, you know, I was on the water with my daughter and, and we're talking about the conditions. I didn't specifically love the conditions. It was... It was supposed to get windier as the day went on yesterday, and it eventually it did. But from the morning, the time we got on the water till the time we got off the water, it actually had diminished as far as wind speed. So we're getting flatter, and the sun's getting higher in the sky. And I'm, I'm on, yeah, I'd say like moderate clear water, not clear, but not not dirty and not stained. And I was like, mm, I really don't love the conditions. But I said to her, I'm like, but muskies will do musky things. Just because you don't think that these are the proper conditions doesn't mean that one isn't going to surprise you. And it did yesterday. So it's just one of those things, you know. I'm sure, like, okay, we'll go down the, we'll we'll go down a few things here. We'll, we'll talk about clear water versus stained water versus overcast versus small baits and fast baits and windy. I'm sure there's been a, a giant muskie caught on a calm day with bright sunshine in a small bait moving very slow. You know, with I'm sure I'm sure all of these things have lined up at some point. I think part of it too, Jeff, is plain and simple. Speed a lot of times is a, there's a second factor to speed, right? 
when you're burning, you're looking for that reaction bite, right? And we're kind of getting into that season now with this first cool down. It seems like you can downsize, you can really put some heat on it and cover more water. And generally speaking, that, that works really good with these first cold fronts. But if it's you know, hot and you're in the middle of the summer, those fish are maybe buried in the weeds. And so slowing things down, and, and that was my whole gig back in the day um, when we were talking about how the first 50s of this state were really kind of amped up. Going slow with a cowgirl, the reason I was going slow is to get my bait closer to the fish. They were buried down deep. So speed can be a factor for where your bait is in the depth of the water column as well. So another piece to think about. You know, Steve, uh, Steve, one thing I heard you mention was you said you have lots of different reels at your disposal that allow you to move these baits in different speeds. How many different setups do you suppose you take with you on a day trip if it's just you and one other person? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I still still got a couple of the Abu Garcia Rio Toro winches that you know I get sent in to get repaired every couple of years. Uh, you know, because that four six to one with a small retriever or, or I'm sorry, small spool produces a very slow retrieve ratio. I still think I, I firmly believe that you know a five to one, five point one, five point three to one retrieve ratio real can you know is the most uh, versatile reel um and and your best jerkbait reel because you, know, you hear so many guys nowadays seem to think you need a high-speed reel to fish a jerkbait or soft plastic well i'm sorry you know your jerkbait fishing then sucks if you're doing that because you need to have controlled slack and you know seven to one retrieve ratio is not going to allow you to have controlled slack you need to be in that five to one retrieve ratio you know speed and and then you know, for burning smaller stuff, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy who's going to want to have anything over about six three to one. But you know, like this, a five eight to one is great um, with a power handle. If you want to burn a small bucktail, you know, I can blow any bucktail out of the water, small bucktail out of the water with a you know with a Shimano Tranks four hundred and a power handle. You can blow anything out of the water with a Diola Pro-Rex, so 5.3 to 1 in a power handle. You got a larger spool there and a big power handle, that, that matters too. So I probably have got, uh, you know, just to answer the question, probably four or five different retrieve speeds and the reels I take. Brad, are you uh, one of those guys that has a lot of rods on your deck of your boat too? It seems like I always do, but you got to remember, I'm fishing with Chase a lot, and uh <laughs> He brings more equipment than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I usually have for myself two to three rods that are set up and I will, you know, I said it a minute ago, I was talking about the Trinidad. If I really, really want to put some heat on a bait, that's the reel that I choose. Um, I still use a lot of round reels and I'm still a, a TE guy, but uh, in the last, I don't know how many years, three years or so, I started using the Conquest. And the reason that I like the Conquest is it's basically a TE and they have tons of power. They're really strong. And, uh, the new ones, the new MD that they just came out with, uh, I got one, I don't know, probably two months ago. And I've got two more new ones sitting here because I love them so much. They're super expensive, but, uh, the MD, I believe it picks up 40 inches of line for turning the handle. So it's a little bit faster than the old Conquest. And so I will benefit back and forth between those 
real because of exactly what uh, Steve was just talking about. You know, it's all about feeling your bait and knowing where your bait is. And and if you're going to go slow, like a lot of times after dark, I want my old TEs. And the reason I want that TE is because I want to feel those blades turning as I'm going really slow. I want to feel that rubber being in the backside just kicking around if I'm throwing, say, a Medusa or a Bulldog after dark. You can feel it when you go to a slower reel, where with a lot of the, the high-performance speed reels, you can't feel your bait. So I don't necessarily like that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Okay, so we've, we've kind of went all over the place a little bit, and we kind of jumped around on, you know, on, on the way this is going to go. So let's talk about, I guess we'll talk wind versus calm days. What are we looking for? I would... I mean, I guess the one thing about it is I, I haven't met a musky angler yet that's looking for flat calm. Unless, oddly enough, on Green Bay, I always did pretty good on flat calm. But um, I've never seen flat calm be the perfect condition anybody's looking for. Is that correct? The only place I've seen flat calm be really good, you know, it can be, you know, if you're fishing, if, you, if, you're, if you're finding a lot of muskies, it's, you know, let's say sand bays on Lake of the Woods and, you know, that allowing the sun to, you know, get in there and warm things up, um, that can, you know, if you've got that kind of a day, I guess that's, you know, that's where you got to fish and that's, that's going to all kind of add up. But, you know, typically you got to have a chop, you know, a lot of guys here in Wisconsin want to just go and you know, go on the upwind side of the lake and then drift, drift with that chop. Well, I got, you know, I, I can't do that. I got to be much more precise with my bolt control because that's just the way I am. But, uh, that, that chop, you know, it, 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 it diffuses light penetration. The fish, you know, don't have as good of an opportunity to see you um, or see your bait, and they're much more prone to make a mistake. Um, there are other benefits to the wind too, um, but that depends on how how strong it is. But you know, just give me a good chop, and I'm happy. Steve, I got to ask you a question because it's really interesting to me. You know, and if I look back at different pictures from all of the years that I've fished, and unfortunately, we didn't have fancy cell phones to take pictures back in the day so i know a lot of those pictures are you know printed or maybe on a hard drive somewhere and looking at pictures of the past years i think my largest fish that i've ever caught and i've got two 55 and a half and both of them were on dead flat sunny days bright sunny flat days now we didn't get another fish those days it seems like (laughs) These large, large fish, I, I, I don't know what it is about it, but multiple, multiple big fish, I'm talking 53 or bigger, have come on those days. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, um, exactly what you said. You know, where you, you get one bite, and it's really worth it. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just at, at their age and the cataracts that they're growing in their eyes that they can see better in the, those conditions. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I definitely would, would, would say I don't have 255s as you do. The biggest I ever had in the boat was a 55, and, uh, and that was in a good shop. But uh, so far as big fish on flat com days that are bright and sunny and you wouldn't expect it yeah i've seen that it just seems so weird i mean you think about it because i'm in the same boat as you i would prefer a chop but when i go back and i look through the history of my angling (laughs) for whatever dumb reason it seems like you get just one of those big ones and i i don't know it's 
it's quite strange because it can be very wearing on your mind too. You know, you know that it's not the day that you're probably going to get one and then you end up with a giant. So it, it's just so bizarre how it all works out. Yeah. Perhaps we're just overthinking this and all we need to do is just go fishing. <laughs> well, I think that's the best choice, right? You don't catch them from the couch. So anytime <laughs> you can go get out on the water. Well, I do think that there's times where, as musky anglers, we're our own, where we are our own worst enemy. Oh yeah, you know, you, yeah. You, you, you get you get frustrated, and uh, you start getting desperate sometimes. And and rather than going with what you know should work, you start looking for magic. And uh, you know, when you start start looking for magic, start trying things that you're not real. You know. The good thing about trying things is you can learn how to fish different baits. You can learn different patterns and that, but it may not be what you need to do for the situation. You just need to wait for the window to open up and you'll catch your fish if you, if you wait for that to happen. I think some of it too is like being a guide, you're on the water no matter what, right? You don't get to pick your weather and you don't get to pick the time that you're going to be there. You, you go because that's the day that somebody booked you. And I think that that's provided some of that history that I'm talking about as well, right? It wouldn't be the day like, man, I'm going to go fishing today. Look at it. It's dead flat and it's hot and it's sunny. You're probably going to stay home and do something different, right? But when you're guiding, you have to be on that water. And that kind of provides more answers to this whole puzzle that we call musky fishing. Yeah. And even the, you know, the biggest musky I've caught in Northern Wisconsin personally in the last let's say four years, I mean, it was four years ago that I got that one. You know, it was a day that, you know, it was just, okay, and, you know, I wasn't guiding back then. I was still working for Muskie Hunter, and 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 I didn't like the conditions, and I, I looked at the Muskie Hunter TV app, I looked at that, and yeah, I, I don't know if I should go, and then I ultimately decided, you know, I can't catch if I'm, well, if, you know, from the couch, I can't catch him if I'm not on the water. In an hour later, I'm taking pictures with uh, just a brood of a fish. So, All right, so Steve, we're chasing down big fish. Are you going to typically choose a clear body of water or a dark stained body of water? Uh, it depends on the lake. You know, I, I would look for a lake that's, I prefer lakes that are stained. The older I get, the more I prefer stained water, just because the fish I think are a little bit more prone to make mistakes. But you have to have you have to have the forage base for them to grow big. Though you have to have big suckers or red horse or whitefish or ciscos or tulabies as you got as they're called in Minnesota and Canada. You have to have that to to grow them big. You know, they're they're generally not going to get big on a diet of crappies and perch and and uh, bluegills. That's what I I look for. You know, you can't deny that clear water produces giant fish, but clear water also tends to have, you know, ha, ha, tends to have you know the whitefish and ciscos uh, that produce big fish. But you know, the one thing that is frustrating about clear water is fish like to follow in clear water. They see your bait, they can see you. They, you know, they're they're clear water lakes. I know very well. I just don't fish anymore because. You know, yeah, I caught some fish out of them, but for the amount of effort I put into them, they just I ultimately decided they just weren't worth it. But then I also have some lakes that uh, if I get the right conditions, oh yeah, I'll go there. You know, but typically it's got to be very heavily overcast or and or raining uh, before I'll even fish them. But they can't be good. Do you ever fish rivers? Speaking of stained water, do you spend much time on a river? 
I did. I used to used to fish uh, like the St. Louis. Um, I wish I had the boat to fish the Wisconsin more. Uh, you know, I've got two boats. How many can I have? Uh, <laughs> maybe I should have a third. Um, you know, there was first, you know, I fished with a friend a couple of years ago on the Wisconsin and, uh, you know, I hadn't been on that stretch of the Wisconsin ever. And, you know, you go, geez, we're 15 minutes into the day, into the day and I got a four footer. So I'm like, wow, that was uh, really special, you know? And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think rivers would be, uh, you know, if somebody's got the boat to do it, that they aren't beating up their their uh, big piece of fiberglass, expensive fiberglass that they got in the garage. Uh, you know, they certainly can catch some big fish out of them. Uh, and, but you, you know, so far as catching the true giants, you almost have to. I don't think you you're going to do it fishing like the Chippewa or the Flambeau up here. You might catch some big fish, but the those really big fish that you want, I think you have to be on like the St. Louis or the or you know, lower Fox. At least over here. So, Brad, let's talk about boats. How many can you really have, Brad? He wanted to know, and I think you can answer this question. I think it's infinite, <laughs> isn't it? It is infinite. I I have five, and uh, <laughs> maybe a sickness. I I was trying to buy another one. My my wife is telling me now at this point that we need another garage before I buy another boat. So we'll see. Well, that's funny. I was trying to convince my wife to buy another or put build up build another garage, and she's like, "What? So we can collect more stuff that we don't use?" I'm like, "Well, well yeah, that's kind of the idea, right? Isn't it? like who he who dies with the most toys wins?" <laughs> well, at least your kids will win. <laughs> that's true. I I do say that all the time. I'm like, I man, I feel so so bad for my kids. They're the ones that are gonna have to deal with all this stuff that I have. They're gonna get lots of cool stuff, but they're gonna also have to deal with a lot of stuff they don't want to deal with. Ah, uh, okay. So, let me, in in summary, Steve, let's go down this. If you could set the stage for a perfect storm, I guess, to put a big fish in the boat, why don't you kind of lay that out? We've we sort of broke down the the different aspects of this. What what day in you, like if you if you woke up and and you had this weather wise whatever, what w- what would be a perfect day for you? Well, I would like to have um, weather on its way, you know, and not necessarily cloudy, but about to be cloudy, um, you know, with, with uh, you know, some kind of storm. I'd like to have a, a nice, nice wind out of the south, southwest, um, not too strong, not 25 miles an hour as we've had a few this year. Um, but you know, give me a five to 10 mile an hour chop with uh, good, heavy humidity in the air. Um, just where, you know, those kind of days, it's, you know, if you've fished for them long enough, you, it just feels like it should be good. Um, you know, falling barometer, give me a, you know, fuller new moon, but you know, the, the you know, weather ultimately decides it anyways, you know, the single best week of musky fishing I ever had in my life was on a first quarter moon, but the weather was perfect. So, you know, the moon doing its thing can certainly, you know, it's not the you know, predominant factor, obviously weather is, but uh, it's always good to know your moon times too. And just, just be there ahead of a storm, know your moon times and fish on a lake that's got big fish in it. And, you know, sooner or later you'll be the guy in the, in the you know, on social media or whatever, holding the giant fish. Perfect. 
All right, Steve. So we talked a little bit about your season. We talked a little bit about big fish. One thing that Brad and I have done in past episodes that you haven't been involved in is we play a little game called Five Questions. We ask five questions that are not super in-depth, although sometimes the uh, guests might go a little further in-depth. And uh, we kind of just get your thoughts on a few different things. Now I'm just trying to find where I put Brad's note from this morning because Brad sent me a note on a few questions and I wanted to ask you. I know one of them was, okay, let's go this this way for a second. If you ha- if you can have either GPS mapping, side imaging, or live sonar, you can only use one of those three technologies, which one is it going to be? Um, give me the GPS mapping. You know, I... I, I... In that they may just play into, I've used it longer, I'm more familiar with it, and uh, caught a lot of fish with it. Ultimately, you have to be on a good spot. The GPS mapping helps get you there. The other two can help you catch the fish once you are there, but you have to get there first. I 100% agree with you on that. If I could pick one, that would be the one that I would pick. It seems to make my job easier. I do like side imaging a lot, too. I'm not much of a a live sonar guy I just i don't like to I, it's nothing against the sonar itself i just don't like the amount of screwing around i need to do in order to get it to work out for me i got enough other things i screw around with on the water so one last thing all right let's go with let's talk leaders for a minute are you more of a, a wire leader or a fluorocarbon leader i i can't answer that i've got um <laughs> I actually have eight different leaders that I use, uh, ranging from fluorocarbon to wire. You know, I, I, I work with Stealth Tackle on a number of them. And, uh, you know, I, I guess of, of, of the styles of those eight different ones I use, six of them are wire. But, you know, it's tough to beat for an overall leader. It's tough to beat a 130-pound test fluorocarbon leader. You know, the other, one of the other fluorocarbon leader i would use as you know a trolling leader then the rest of it's going to be all wire and i've got my reasoning for all that but uh yeah i use eight different styles of leaders all right well you mentioned trolling leaders have john just recently came out with the uh 48 inch 174 pound solid wire trolling leader have you played around with that yet at all or not i have not i I wish i could give you some insight on it but i've not done it Okay, same here. He actually gave it to me early release last fall, and I never put it to the test. It's definitely something I want to, because, like, you've probably heard the same story. Like, sometimes people think that that wire gives a little bit of extra sing in the water, can potentially, I don't know, sway the uh, sway the muskies into your favor a little bit. This is, again, sometimes I think that we as muskie anglers sweat too many small details, and we don't just go fishing. Well, you know, Tom Gelb um, used to make his own leaders when he was row trolling here in northern Wisconsin. And he's, he gave me a bunch before he passed, and uh, they were wire, and they were about 18 inches long. And he believed exactly what you said, that little bit of a sing, and that was even row trolling. Uh, he believed in that. There might be some truth to it. I mean, you can't really argue with his, with, with his success. No, you, 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 there's a hand. Yeah, you could count the number of guys on who have caught a 50 a true legit 50 pounder in northern wisconsin uh definitely on two hands maybe on one hand and he was one of them mm-hmm. absolutely I, I personally have used uh 48 inch wire leaders i don't know since the 90s for trolling and a big reason for that was when i first started trolling it was in canada and we were fishing a lot of rocks 
I brought them back to Minnesota where I'm not dealing with rocks and probably 90% of my trolling rigs have 48 inch wire leaders. And I don't know if I influenced John Betty with that, but I, it's something that I've always believed in. So what you're saying, Brad, is I really should make sure that if I do some trolling this fall, I better implement them. Well, I'm not necessarily saying that. I mean, we catch just as many fish on the floral carbon as well, but I, I, I don't know. There's just something about wire, and I, I do think that there is. It's going to make a different noise. I like the thought of using wire. I'm not a huge floral guy. I, it scares me a little. You get a nick in floral, you better change it. And with wire, I just feel like uh, I don't have to worry about my leaders as much. All right, Steve. I know that you're a big minnow bait guy, and I don't exactly always know what it, what minnow baits you are throwing. So I'll kind of throw out this question for you: Are you a grandma, or Jake's, or you fill in the blank with what the other one would be? I will use. Uh, let's see. On the small end, I'll use a baby shallowator. I like the mag shallowator. I don't so much like the mid-sized shallowator. I let's see. I, I like slammers. You know, I like the seven inch and the eight inch and the ten inch. I like a seven. Give me a seven and a half inch or a nine inch grandma. Not such, the only time I've used a Jake is on a ten inch model. So I guess I'm all over the board there. It's uh, the one bait that seems to be catching a lot of fish for me the last few years has been a seven and a half inch uh, grandma. It just you know, I, I can make that bait just dance, but I can do the same thing with, you know, in other situations with a, a five inch baby shallowator. Um, it's, I think it, it comes down to the lure that you get confidence in, you know, you, I, you know, Bill Sandy's a great friend of mine and, you know, Bill's using crane baits all the time and you, you can't question the fish that Bill catches. You know, does does Bill own a grandma? I'm not sure. Has he ever tried one? I'm not sure. Could he catch one on a grandma? Oh, absolutely, he could. You know, but that seven and a, seven and a half inch grandma, uh, seven inch slammer, and the one thing that's different between the two of them is, well, you know, the slammer's solid and the grandma's got a little bit of air in it, but it also has a rounded lip, whereas the grandma's got a. I, I'm sorry, whereas the slammer has a squared lip, and that matters to the fish sometimes. Um, but if I just had to pick, I guess if I had to just pick one, be the seven and a half inch grandma right now. I'm uh, just catching a lot of fish on that. And I really like prism slot, prism sides and uh, I can just make that bait dance. Brad, it's like he's talking to you with the prism sides. You and you're always about the prism as well. I truly am. I, <laughs> I really struggle if it doesn't have prism tape on it. And primarily because I think it calls fish and, I mean, it's no different than you standing on the side of the hill with a mirror flashing in the sun, right? You get to see that. I might not see you if you didn't have the mirror. So I love prism, and I think it does call fish from a distance, and it's going to at least get their attention. All right, moving yeah. up. Oh, I, I cut a nice one on a grandma last week, and you know, my buddy and I, when we're when we're in Canada, we're we're, we're alternating running the boat. We got a number of reasons for that. You know, one of first and foremost is to keep to keep it fair. You know, um, if uh, if it's a bucktail bite, and, you know, I'm running the boat while well, I catch them all, and he doesn't have as great a week. I don't want that to happen. So we alternate spots and running the boat. And he had a fish boil off on a on a bucktail that left a 
<laughs> it left, left a double swirl up on the surface. It spun off so fast and shot back to the weed edge. And I had a you know, seven and a half inch gram with a prism, you know, tape on the side. And as that fish was coming, I had just given it a little twitch. That fish just went right up to my grandma and hit the brakes and looked at it. And I just gave it just a little subtle twitch to eat it. And he just woofed it, you know, and it was, you know, it was all over with at that point. You know, if that bait had not had prism on it, I don't know if you'd have seen it for as fast as that fish was moving and from where it went from the boat back to the weed bed. And then just to stop when that bait moved, um, I'm pretty sure the prism called it, as as Brad would say. You know, Steve, I've probably asked you this multiple times on the uh, on podcast before. Do you believe that the minnow bait presentation is still underutilized in musky fishing? Oh yeah, yeah, no question about it. You know, it's got the profile of a of a bait fish. Uh, if you really know what you're doing with them, you can just make those things dance. You know, they get they get flash vibration profile. They got everything, and then when the fish grabs it, you know they usually have got a mouthful of hooks too. Because when they grab it, it's usually a T bone. You know, you rarely see them nip it. They're usually pretty sold when they grab it. All right, next question I have for you: Are you a full grip guy for your rods or split grip? Split grip. I absolutely prefer that. Um, I used to develop a callus underneath my left arm, you know, from from the cork rubbing against the t-shirts uh, against my side, and I get a very painful callus every year. And I don't have that with a split grip, but you know, also with a split grip, you know, Brad talked about feeling your bait as you're retrieving the bait. I believe you can you get more in tune with the bait when you got your rod up against your side. He's just there's just more sensitivity there. Um, it's hard to describe, but I believe in it. And, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a slick grip guy. I also palm the reels too. And so, um, I don't grab, hold the foregrip if maybe if I held the foregrip, I believe differently, but I'm slick grip. All right. Last question I have for you would be small. Are you typically lean towards small baits or big baits? Depends on the situation and the time of year and the lake and all, I, I, I can't really choose one or the other. I've caught big fish on small baits. I've caught small fish on big baits and big fish on big baits, et cetera, et cetera. I, it just, it, it all comes down to time of year, lake I'm fishing and the situation. It's one thing we find about muskies. There's no, I'm always looking for hard, fast rules and there are no hard, fast rules. It's not like if you, okay, it's September 12th and, uh, you know, whatever, you should be throwing this bait on this lake, moving at this speed. That's never, it's never the case. There's so many different situations, different things. There's no substitute for time on the water to help you make these instinctive calls. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you're looking for magic and muskie fishing, you're going to be sadly disappointed because, uh, you know, it, it's magical when you catch one, but the magic to actually catch one, you know, it's going to matter when it comes time to catch one. It just doesn't exist. It's, it can be a heck of a lot of hard work, but it's a lot of little things adding up to get you that fish. Well, Steve, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We thank you very much for all of your constant contributions you know we can't uh, do this without many of our fine guests and you are included in that list so we thank you very much for taking time out of your musky season i know you you said it's an office day but you could be doing other things more productive than talking to us uh, about musky fishing so thank you very much for your time 
Hey, I'm glad to be here. Like I said, anytime you guys want to talk, I'm willing to do it. I love doing it. And uh, thanks so much and good fishing to you. Thank you. And we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in for another episode. And we will be back with a new one again next week, Wednesday.